0: I was uh, talking to my brother this last week, um, as someone who is not unfamiliar with the process of renovation and how these kinds of things go, I was reminiscing with my brother about some of the the renovation stories that he had in his years of uh, being around this kind of work. We were laughing about how, uh, for instance, when, when he had bought his home that they live in now, he and his wife and his kids. Um, I remember one of the first things, the first room they renovated was a kitchen. And I remember him tearing down the drop ceiling in their kitchen because who puts a drop ceiling in their kitchen and discovering underneath the drop ceiling that all of the joists from the second floor just had this big sag, this big belly in the middle of it that needed to be addressed. And I said to him, I remember you being so irritated that instead of dealing with the core problem, um, somebody had just dropped the ceiling, covered it up and sold the house and kind of walked away and left f- for you to deal with. And he laughed. He said, well, that's, he said, that's nothing. He said, a little while ago, he said, I was in a home where we were going to do some renovation. And the, uh, the previous homeowner had decided, I suppose, out of a matter of convenience, that she was going to put her laundry room uh, in the kitchen. So her washer and her dryer were installed where her stove and her um, fridge were. And the folks who were going to be living there had decided that they didn't want to wash their underwear in the same place that they washed their vegetables, oddly enough. And so uh, my brother said, so we had already purposed, (coughs) excuse me, that we were going to remove these appliances. He said, but I remember the first thing that struck me as I walked in the kitchen was that it was uh, carpeted, which... You know, carpeting in the kitchen, being, if you have carpeting in your kitchen, no offense, but um, we grew up, my brother and I and our other brother, in a home where my mother was very meticulous about hygiene and neatness and so on, but we grew up with carpeting in the bathroom. My older brother said, you know, the only thing worse than carpeting in the bathroom is carpeting in the kitchen, I'm kind of 50-50 on that, but I took his word for it. And he said, so he had already decided when he saw the carpet, he said, well, this is coming out. And, and then he saw the washer and dryer and he said, well, we're going to pull that out. And so he, he went into the back and he said, he, they ripped out the appliances and found underneath the washer and dryer in the carpet, a complete layer of black mold. So I said, well, you know, if the carpet wasn't coming out before, it's coming out now. He said, so he grabbed the carpet and he ripped it up with mask, obviously. And he said, you know what I found underneath? I said, some like 1960s linoleum. He said, that would have been a dream. I found another layer of carpet completely covered in black mold. That at some point what the homeowner had decided was that they had a black mold problem in the carpet in the kitchen because of the washer and dryer. And so the way they decided to deal with the black mold problem in the carpet was to lay a carpet over top of the carpet to give themselves a fresh pallet to work on. It's <laughs> what happens when you when you decide that you're just going to cover something up instead of dealing with the core of the issue which is precisely what Jesus addresses in the passage that we're going to look at this morning we we've been going through Matthew chapter 23 if you have a bible you can you can turn there where Jesus is calling out in the lives of the pharisees the self-proclaimed religious leaders of israel in in the first century he's calling out in their lives the ways that their faithful devotion to god has degenerated into something much more like mere religion is the phrase that i'm using in this series and i mean that phrase in the worst sense of the word it's just religious going through the motions and. I keep reminding us of what these markers are at the beginning of every one of these sermons because I find that for my life, they so easily creep back into my psyche. They become traps that I stumble into again. So Jesus says, you know, first of all, if your spirituality is basically a PR campaign, if you're living your spiritual life for the approval For the recognition or admiration of the people around you instead of the approval of God. That's just mere religion. If you're defining your life with God, he says, secondly, in terms of uh, the proliferation of rules that must be kept. Rather than embodying a heart of loving God and loving people. That's just mere religion. If your idea of obedience is technical conformity to the letter of the law, rather than just in general embodying the spirit of it, um, that's mere religion. And then last week, uh, Jesus would have said, if you are the kind of person who majors in the minors, who nitpicks about tiny insignificant rules but are missing out on the heart of God which is justice and mercy and faithfulness you're just living out mere religion well this morning in Matthew chapter 23 starting verse 25 Jesus says "Um, if you're the kind of person who obsesses about externals uh, but doesn't address what's going on in your heart if you're the kind of person who will cover up a layer of moldy carpet with a fresh carpet rather than dealing with the core of the issue." You're just living a religion. This is what he says in verse 25. Woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Jesus is talking about uh, rabbinic rules around how you clean your eating ware, your dishes and cutlery and and so on. See, the the Jews in the ancient world, as the Jews uh, today, are mandated by Jewish religious law in order to eat kosher, right? They have to eat kosher food, but not even just kosher food, food that's been prepared in a way that is uh, acceptable to God, but they have to eat their food off of kosher dishes, that their dishes have to be rinsed in such a way that they are religiously pure and acceptable to God. The problem with trying to eat off kosher dishes, is how do you know when your cleaning of your dishes has made them pure? How do you know when the job, there's no kind of external marker that, oh, this dish is pure, you can tell by looking at it. So the rabbis would have these debates about how to clean your dishes in a way to make them religiously clean. Rabbi Hillel said, well, when you're coming, when you're talking about food, you know, stuff that you're eating off of, so long as you clean the inside, you know, then the whole dish is clean. Rabbi Shammai disagreed. He said, no, how can you call the dish clean if you haven't cleaned the outside? If you want the dish to be clean, you have to clean the outside and the inside. Nobody said, by the way, the dish is clean if you just clean the outside. I mean, think about it. So this is my this is my mug. It was a gift from my friend, uh, Pavlo Lazinsky, who lives in Lviv, Ukraine. And this is a, 750th anniversary of the founding of Lviv, Ukraine, commemorative mug. It's one of my favorite things that I own. I use it every day, uh, basically, to drink coffee out of. But sometimes I, I'm not all that diligent with rinsing the mug when I'm done with my coffee. So if I'm out of the office for any length of time, I go on vacation, or when I come back, the inside is is pretty grimy there's mold growing on the bottom and so I, mean, I got to do a little bit of work before I can to use the cup again but imagine I was going to lend you my mug and say here why don't you have a cup of coffee use mine there's mold in the bottom but I'm just I'll wipe down the outside and then it'll be fine who would use the mug? nobody nobody you wouldn't I wouldn't because it's ridiculous to say that just cleaning the outside makes you clean but the Jesus says to the Pharisees, that's exactly what you're like. Verse 27, he says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. Um, Jesus is talking about the burial practice in ancient Israel. That in ancient Israel, what they used to do was they used to create burial monuments for important people who had died. We do it today. We, um, you know, I've been to Paris and I've been at the tomb of Jim Morrison, which has become somewhat of a shrine in the city of Paris. I've sat there and, um, you know, watched, looked at the candle burn and listened to somebody play Doors music and smoked a little bit of weed uh, second hand entirely second hand um but but you know we do that we build monuments to people important people so this is what the jews would do as well they would when somebody important died they would build this limestone monument over top of their tomb and then they would take this mixture of lime water and they would paint the monument with it and it would make it clean it would make it Uh, uh, sleek and and polished and it would just glisten with this incredible white in the sun. It was a way of decorating the tombs of people, really important people who had died. There's another use actually of the the whitewash. Um, The Jewish religious law says in Numbers chapter 19 verse 11, it says whoever touches a human corpse will be unclean for seven days. They must purify themselves with water on the third day and the seventh day. And then they'll be clean. Um, Jews weren't allowed to touch dead bodies. And the rabbis had decided that that extends even to the, to the tombs of the dead. So every year what they would do around Jerusalem, the week before Passover, when the city would be flooded with all sorts of pilgrims who didn't know where the bodies were buried. You know what I mean? Like It wasn't a culture that had cemeteries. There were tombs and graves everywhere. But a a visitor to Jerusalem didn't know where they all were. And so what they used to do the week before Passover when everybody shows up for the festival is that they would whitewash all the tombs so that you knew exactly where the bodies were buried. You knew where to not step in order to not be religiously defiled, unclean. Because imagine you've traveled all this way to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover and you step on a tomb and now you're unclean and you have to miss the whole festival. Jesus says to the Pharisees, you're you're a little bit like that. He's noting the irony, kind of the, the, the the disconnection between how beautiful these tombs were on the outside. And how full of rot and decay they were on the inside. Jesus says to the Pharisees, you are like that. He's not talking about how they were washing dishes, you know, according to the rabbinic debates, which by the way, carry on to this day uh, in my kitchen, depending on who's stacking the dishwasher, you know, the proper way to wash a dish. But um, he's not talking about how they wash dishes and he's not talking about how they decorate tombs. He says this in verse 28, he says "In, in the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous. But on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. He's writing commentary about them. He says, you you work so hard to maintain this external veneer of beauty and cleanness. This kind of surface that radiates religiosity. And underneath, there's all sorts of ugliness going on in your heart. Um, He says... You, you, on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy. The word just means an actor to act, to play a part, to play a role, to put on a mask and to pretend to be something you're not, to present an image of yourself that isn't true about who you really are. Jesus says, that's all you're doing. When you're obsessed with how you are coming off to other people on the outside. Whether you're coming off as religious enough. It's all you're doing. You're just playing a part. He says on the inside you're full of wickedness. The word literally means um, lawlessness. To actually live in opposition to everything that the jewish religious law was all about it's the most ironic thing that jesus could say about them because on the surface everybody would have looked at their lives and said they're all about being lawful they're all about you know strict obedience in the most meticulous fashion to the entire jewish religious law and jesus says yeah it appears that way on the surface That you're so concerned about obedience to the law underneath, you are about the exact opposite of what God wants. At the end of verse 25, he says, your dishes are full of greed and self-indulgence. Well, it's not the dish. I've never had a dish of greed before. He He was saying, that's your heart. Your heart is filled with the word self-indulgence means you lack self-restraint. You lack self-control. And it leads to overindulgence and extravagance. And you just want more and more. The word greed doesn't actually just describe that craving for more. It describes the violence you're willing to perpetrate on somebody in order to get that more. Right? The, it's, the word is actually translated robbery or you mugging somebody. Jesus says, when you look at the ugliness of what's going in your heart, you have this insatiable appetite for more. And you are willing to even damage people's lives to get it. That's who you are on the inside. And yet on the outside, you present this beautiful picture of religious perfection. You radiate this religiosity that everybody admires. You're hyper-obsessed about how things appear on the outside. And yet on the inside, there's corruption and decay and darkness and death. This was Jesus' fairly consistent criticism of the Pharisees. Everybody else, because we do this too... We get trained to judge people based on externals, right? And so people would have looked at the Pharisees' deep religiosity, their, their thorough knowledge of scripture, the eloquence of their prayers, their financial generosity, the zeal with which they were committed to obedience to the rules And they would have looked at them and said, surely this person is everything that God wants people to be. And yet Jesus says in in Matthew 5 verse 20, he says, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says, no, you got to do a lot better than them. In order to be about and to experience what I'm all about. They've missed the point entirely. Precisely because they're content to maintain this surface appearance of religiosity. And they never actually deal with the ugly stuff that's going on underneath. And you know what friends? To be perfectly frank, I and we are exactly like them. We're every bit as committed to their hypocrisy as they were. To to playing a part, to putting on a mask, to presenting ourselves on the outside as something that we're not on the inside. And we do it, quite honestly, we do it in the same ways that they do it. We do it by trying to maintain an image of religiosity that we build up through, you know, uh, faithful church attendance, that we build up through our knowledge of the scriptures, through our eloquent prayers, through our zeal for volunteering, you know, especially in our anchor causes with the poor, with our financial generosity. We we're committed to these uh, external symbols of our religiosity to to presenting ourselves in a certain way we're committed to it not just in the in the religiosity of it but in the rule keeping of it that we sort of Imagine that the life that God wants from us is adherence to the rules, all the do's and the don'ts. So we, you know, you don't do drugs, and you don't sleep, sleep around, and you don't sext with people who aren't your spouse, and you don't um, stay out past curfew, with, depending on your age. You don't cheat on your spouse or cheat on your taxes. You don't take stuff that doesn't belong to you. And so long as you are roughly adhering to the rules, you're living the life that God wants from you. And the reason we define it by that external stuff is that it's also easy it's highly visible and it's easily measurable and it's very checkbox friendly we can go right down the list and say yes I'm doing all of the things we obsess about presenting ourselves externally as being a certain kind of person we do it in the way that we pretend the way that we present ourselves as somebody that we're not um The ways that we present ourselves as being more put together than we really are. We hide our weaknesses and our vulnerabilities, right? And we try and maintain this image. We maintain it with our dress. We maintain it with our hair. We maintain it in the way that we keep our home. We maintain it with our smile when we come into an environment like this. How are you? I'm fine, thanks. Things are going really well. We keep the show going. By the way that we pretend that our relationships are doing well. Our marriage is great. And our friendships are great. And our kids, they're doing great. I was thinking this week about that that, uh, character from Seinfeld. That girl, I think Kramer was dating this girl. Oh, everything's great. It's so great. How can you believe it? Can you believe it? It's so great. Right? We, We play that game. We do it in the way that we hide our our doubts and our questions and our fears and the ways in which we feel like our faith might be even slipping away we don't talk about that stuff because what we've done is we've conspired together to create a community where we a- agree with each other to maintain this external veneer that everything is great And in the context of that kind of community, the person who takes the risk to be vulnerable and to say, actually, I have serious doubts about my faith. Actually, I kind of feel it slipping away. Actually, everything is not great. That person gets judged for being honest. They get excluded because of their authenticity they get condemned for dropping the mask and showing everybody who they really are. That's not how we do business. How we do business is we maintain this surface veneer. We give everything a good whitewash before we go out in public so we can present this shiny, happy version of our lives that is in no way the truth about what's really going on inside because underneath that whitewash, shiny, happy veneer is darkness and hurt and brokenness and rot that's going on on the inside that gets completely ignored and unaddressed. right? Because we maintain this um, external veneer of being courteous and gracious with people, we never lose our patience, never lose our temper. We tend to excuse the simmering rage that we carry around in our spirit, the bitterness that we hold towards another person. That stuff we don't deal with. Because we are are very careful to be appropriate around people that we're attracted to. We never actually address the lust that lives in our heart. The the ways that we lust after everything that moves. And especially if it moves on our computer screen. Because we work so hard to be the, the doting partner. We never confront the torch that we've been carrying for somebody who's not our partner we don't ever actually address the emotional affair that we've started at starbucks or at work we don't deal with the heart stuff because you know we've trained ourselves to be so tolerant and politically correct and loving and kind and everything we say we never actually name the fear and the hate that we have in our spirit towards that group that's just different than us we, we cover our um, greed with generosity. We cover our worry and our lack of trust in God with planning and, and, and you know, careful togetherness. We, we cover our judgmentalism with kind words. We, we maintain this shiny, happy surface veneer of religiosity and underneath is this dark brokenness and rot that never gets addressed. The truth is, that's not what Jesus came for. Jesus didn't come so that we can maintain the surface. In fact, what he says in verse 26, he says this, blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. Jesus says, no, deal with the inner stuff. If you deal with the inner stuff, the outer stuff takes care of itself. Right? Imagine you were at my house. And I was going to offer you a, a bowl of ice cream, which is of course going to be chocolate peanut butter because there's just not any other ice cream worth offering. So I'm going to offer you a bowl of chocolate peanut butter ice cream, but I only have this one bowl that's just been used for like, you know, really aromatic, you know, uh, Indian food or spicy Thai food or you know kimchi or something that's very the where the flavors are strong and and stark and it's all still kind of baked in there and there's crusties around the outside or whatever and and I'm gonna offer you um this ice cream and I and I say well this is the only bowl I have just give me a minute and let me wipe the outside and then you can go ahead and have your ice cream and I scoop you know the chocolate peanut butter ice cream right on top of the remnants of that Indian dish that was in there before you know and offer to you, who would ever eat that? When you just deal with the outside stuff, you haven't actually accomplished anything of any value. Jesus says, what you need to do is deal with the inside. Conversely, if I had this bowl and there, were, there was still food on the inside and there was crusties all baked on the outside and I said, you know what, just give me a second to wipe out this bowl for you and I wiped out the inside clean and I put the ice cream in it, and I handed you the bowl and it still had the remnants of the Indian food all around the outside, kind of the outside of the dish there's not a person in this room who would refuse a bowl of peanut butter chocolate ice cream under those conditions you wouldn't care about the stuff on the outside because Jesus says if you deal with the stuff on the inside that's the stuff that really matters all of the rest of it takes care of itself the apostle Paul uh, addresses this exact same issue in the book of Colossians in Colossians chapter 2, verse 20, he says this. He says, Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual force of this world, to religion, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with the things that are destined to perish with you, so are all based on merely human commands. And teachings, Paul says, listen, if you're in Christ, you've died to religion. Religion doesn't have any kind of hold over you. So why are you still obsessing about the rules? Now, let me, let me be super clear. When I was talking about the external veneer stuff, our religiosity, knowledge of the Bible, eloquent prayers and all that stuff. And obedience to the rules, you know, like don't take stuff that's not yours. That's all good stuff. Don't, don't do that stuff. There's no problem with the external stuff until the external stuff becomes the measure of your spiritual success of how you're really doing for God. It doesn't work that way, Jesus says. And the same is here. Paul says, why do you submit to the rules? Now, there are rules when it comes to living a life of faith. There's obedience that we need to live into. But your spiritual life is not to be found in conformity to the rules. Paul calls those things merely human commands and teachings. He says, God doesn't put that stuff on you. That's like the the Bible contains commands. Every way that we reflect on those commands and how we live them out. In our lives. That's a human interpretation and application of what God has invited us to And maybe it's a good one and maybe it's not, but, it's, but those are human applications and teachings. When the Bible teaches that certain things are true, that Jesus is the Son of God living as a human being, he was raised from the dead and so on. But everything that, all of the ways that we reflect on what those teachings mean, those are just human teachings, right? This is what we bring. To the conversation. And there's nothing bad about reflecting on theology or thinking about how a command applies to your life until that becomes the governing thing. Paul says those are, those are just human commands and teachings. He says, instead, he said, such regulations have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining central indulgence. Paul says, on the one hand, I get it, right? That's the structure of how we live. He says that the problem with living according to an external rule-based system is that no system of rules is ever going to change the human heart. They have an appearance of wisdom. This is what the Pharisees loved. They did everything for the appearance to appear to be religious. Paul says, yeah, they have an appearance of wisdom. They, they it's the worship that you've chosen and it's, it appears to be humility, though it's not really, it's false humility, it's pride. Um, he says you appear to be super zealous and sacrificial in your commitment. He talks about the harsh treatment of your body. He says, but that's all the veneer stuff. Nothing, you can't change a human heart by forcing someone to conform to the rules, yourself or anybody else. Paul says it, it feels like that's what you're supposed to do. But he says it doesn't accomplish the goal. Instead. This is what he says in the next verse. Colossians 3. Since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. Where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Paul says, instead of obsessing about rules and, and uh, you know, presenting this religious image and maintaining the appearance that you're the kind of religious person that God wants you to be. Instead of obsessing and focusing on all that stuff, focus on the heart stuff. Focus your life and your attention. Spend all of that time and effort and attention that you used to put into, you know, obedience to the rules and, and presenting a certain kind of image to everybody else. Spend all of that and energy, and attention focused on knowing and loving Jesus. Set your mind on things above where Christ is. Set all of that time and effort and attention on knowing and loving the people around you, the people with whom God has surrounded you. Maybe even more deeply, spend all your time and effort and attention on being known and being loved by Christ and being known and being loved by the people around you surround yourself with things that nurture the love of Christ in you deal with the inner stuff and the outer stuff will take care of itself Paul says you do that you focus Um, your time and effort and energy on knowing and loving Christ and knowing and loving people, knowing and, and loving and being a part of the kingdom as it's coming on earth, as it is in heaven, surrounded by a community of people who is walking with you in that embedded and immersed in the worship of God, not as checklist things, but as ways of nurturing that love in your spirit. And Paul says, what you will discover happening is that the old kind of way of being the old person that you've been will just fall away with some effort but that's when the old person begins to fall away and you begin to radiate the beauty of who Jesus is from your life that's the goal friends it's not about maintaining some sort of surface veneer image this shiny happy picture of religiosity where we're um Trying to impress everybody with our our religious behaviors and our adherence to the rules. And we're trying to present an image of ourselves that isn't true about what's really going on. That's not what following Jesus is about. It's not about obsessing over externals. It's about dealing with what's going on in your heart. Doing whatever we can, Jesus says, to clean the inside of the cup and dish. Because if you work at that, at knowing and loving Jesus and knowing and loving people, you work at cleaning the inside, dealing with the heart matters at the core of who you are. Jesus says, and as a result, all of you will be clean. All of the rest of it in time will just take care of itself. May we, friends, Become the kind of people. And the kind of community. That doesn't need to pretend anymore. That drops the act. That stops trying to prove ourselves. Or stops trying to be something. In front of each other. And instead gets honest and authentic. And real with what's actually going on. In our hearts. Walking together with each other. Towards loving Christ. And loving each other. May we become the kind of community. That doesn't. Obsess with externals and instead deals with the stuff on the inside, and in so doing, become the kind of community that radiates the beauty of Jesus from the inside out. Let's pray together. Father, um, all this stuff that we make our life with you all about, the rules, and the religious behaviors, all of this, I mean, this, it's, it's good stuff. It's a part of our life with you. But we, we turn it into check boxes. We turn it into ways of measuring our spiritual success. We turn it into ways of maintaining an image of who we are in our life with you. And I, just con- I confess that I do it. God, I want to be someone who just drops the act who's honest and authentic and vulnerable about what's really going on on the inside with those who are in my inner community and with you so that you can, by your spirit, clean the inside of the cup and the dish that is my life. So that my life, so I don't have to try to maintain the image, so my life just radiates you. To the world, and I pray that for our entire community, individually, each person here, and for all of us collectively. Teach us how to drop the act and to get busy dealing with the stuff on the inside for your sake, for the world's sake, so that they can see what Jesus can do with lives like ours. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.